0: If you are able, please stand with me for the reading of the scripture. Matthew 6, 1 to 4. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Good Good morning to all of you. It's good to be back with you. It's the, the week after New Year's. I'm imagining some of you, maybe many of you, have made New Year's resolutions. And I, I know many of you pretty well. I'm, I'm guessing that many of those resolutions were good and noble resolutions, resolutions to, to read your Bible more, maybe to follow Midway's uh, Bible reading plan this year, to pray more, to do more service. But here's my question for for you and for us today. What is the motivation behind that resolution? In other words, why are you doing what you're doing? Uh, You can put up the first slide. See, for the comic book artist who who illustrated these in the New Yorker, Miss Lasko uh, Gross, she says it's very easy to do the right thing for the wrong reasons. For example, you can open the door for strangers so you can freeze out those strangers. Not, not okay. You can go to the next one. You can limit your child's screen time so you can crush Minecraft or, or whatever the latest game is. Not good motivation. And finally, my favorite that she illustrates, you can help the elderly across the street, assuming they'll lead you to buried treasure. You may not be tempted to lead an elderly person across the street in hopes they're leading to buried treasure. If you are, we can, we can talk about that. But I'm pretty sure that you are often tempted, like I am, to do the right thing for the wrong reason. And Jesus knows this. I think G- Jesus knows this as particularly challenging when it comes to religious practice. We're in a series on the Sermon on the Mount, we're, we're in this block of teaching from Jesus, Matthew 5 through 7. Remember where we're at. We took a little break during Advent and Christmas. We're up on a mountain. We're by the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Jesus is teaching. He's teaching his disciples. He's teaching these men and probably women who have decided to follow this guy, Jesus. And after they've made that decision, in this teaching block, Jesus is explaining what's next. And this is the same same teaching to us. If you have chosen to follow Jesus, this is a blueprint of what is next. And Jesus is aware that when you do choose to follow him, one of the temptations that you will face, almost assuredly, is to do the right thing for the wrong reason. And so what Jesus does in this next section of the Sermon on the Mount that we're moving to, is he's going to give us three examples of acts of righteousness. Giving to the needy, praying, and fasting. And we might call these religious practices. We might, this is Uh, piety, or spiritual disciplines. And I want you to notice as we open up this block of teaching that Jesus just assumes if you're a disciple, if you've chosen to follow him, that you are practicing these three things, giving to the needy, praying, and fasting. He doesn't say, Jesus doesn't say you should do these things. He doesn't say if you do these things. Jesus just says when. So Jesus' assumption is that as disciples of Jesus, we're praying, we're fasting, we're giving to the needy. And and we'll talk about the motivation today, but but I want to just pause here for a second because I think this is important because I think we often tend to see these practices as kind of like we should really do these things. Maybe they're kind of like extra credit for being a Christian, particularly fasting, right? I mean, if you're fasting... You're like a super Christian, right? I also think that oftentimes when we, we think about these practices, we can think this sounds kind of legalistic, right? That's not. It sounds kind of oppressive. It sounds kind of maybe works righteousness. But I just want to know, I want to point out, whatever, whatever we feel about these, for Jesus, Jesus just assumes these are part of our life. These are three cardinal uh, practices of Jewish life, and Jesus extends these out into disciples of Jesus. He could have just said, we're not going to do those anymore. But he doesn't do. He said, we're going to continue these practices, giving to the needy, praying, and fasting. Now, I'll speak for myself here. I don't know about you, but these don't always come naturally to me. Most weeks, most days, I don't wake up in the morning uh, and and, and thinking about fasting and, and and. and miss my breakfast and decide to devote that time to prayer. And then during that time where I'm praying, I'm going to plot out how I'm going to give away my money that day. Okay? That just doesn't happen without intentionality, without uh, planning. You know what I can do without planning? I can do it with my eyes closed. I can get up, I can make a pot of coffee, I can pour some milk on my cereal, and I can scroll through the news on my phone. I've got that down. I don't have to have any planning, any intentionality. I can just do that day after day after day. I can do that with my eyes closed. Here's what I want to just point out before we dive into this section that maybe is not pointed out, maybe was when you were a kid, but I think it kind of got lost maybe the last 30 years. The Christian life is a disciplined life. The Christian life is an intentional life with intentional practices. Why is that so important to Jesus? Is it because Jesus grew up as a Mennonite farmer milking 50 head of cows, and he wants his disciples to learn discipline like he did? That might be valuable. I think there's a lot to be said to learning discipline growing up on a farm. I don't think that's Jesus' motivation here. Because I think Jesus' motivation, and this is important for us to get this right, is that Jesus understands that these disciplines are essential to the vitality of our relationship with Him. For thousands of years, those who have sought God have recognized prayer, giving to the needy, and fasting are powerful ways to connect us with God. And they also are powerful ways to transform us into people of love. Right? When you do these things, you're making space to both receive God's love, to offer that love back to God, and then to learn how to express that love to others. Okay, so if we're, as we move into the section about these practices, needy, giving to the needy, prayer and fasting, I really want us to hear what Jesus has to say. Okay, we might have some hang-ups. Piety might be a bad word in our mind. Religious practice might be a bad word in our mind. Discipline might be a bad word in our mind. But that's just not what Jesus is thinking. Okay, Jesus does not have a problem giving to the needy, praying, or fasting. Quite the opposite. He assumes this is part of the life of the disciple. Jesus does have a problem with one thing. Right? There's one thing that exasperates Jesus to no end, and that is when his followers, when we do these things for the wrong reasons. I just want to say it one more time Jesus is not at all opposed to righteousness, he expects it of his disciples. What Jesus is adamantly opposed to is self-righteousness, which is why he opens his sermon with this line, this section of the sermon. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. So we'll get to the kind of the secrecy part here in a little while, but I want you to just notice here what Jesus says at first. Be careful not to practice these acts of righteousness in order to, right? Jesus is getting at motivation, Again, he's not saying don't do these things. Quite the opposite. His assumption is you will. Don't do these things in order to be seen by people. And I think we can kind of see this. We, um, Rich mentioned in his sermon last week. Thank you, Rich, for your good sermon last week. The, the example of the woman who puts the, the copper coins in the treasury. Right? Jesus is sitting there watching with his disciples, and he's, he's saying, look at this woman. This is a beautiful example. Okay, Jesus, and, God, and particularly in John's gospel, he prays for his disciples. Okay, We've we got to make sure we're not being overly literalistic here with this passage. There's going to be times we're going to give to the needy and open. We're going to pray and open. What Jesus is really, really, really concerned with here is our motive. Okay, why are we doing these things? Like, this is the question that we need to keep coming back to. Okay, let's put up the, first slide, the next slide here. Okay, First, first uh, religious deed... Uh, he talks about giving to the needy. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their word, their reward in full. You can put up that next slide, Ron. So like, I think it was this last week, somebody sent me that I had met at a retreat, uh, an image of the laughing Jesus, she called it. And she sent it to me because during this retreat, we were talking about how, man, I think Jesus had way more of a sense of humor than we recognize. And uh, I think this is really helpful to us, right? The the Sermon on the Mount can be a little heavy. (laughs) Uh, We can have some pretty serious stuff here. And I think the image of preacher Jesus up here can always be this stern face. But I think what we miss when we miss the laughing Jesus is that Jesus also injects uh, humor into his teaching. This is why I try to do it. It often fails. Elizabeth bails me out. Um, <laughs> because that's what Jesus did. I think that's what he's doing a little bit right here, okay? So Jesus said, hey, hey, think about this. Imagine this guy. He's going down to the synagogue. Uh, he's gonna put some money in the offering box. And, and before he does that, he goes out and he hires some guys with some trumpets. Okay, and then those guys with trumpets, so he's going down. He's heading to synagogue. They're going to be in front of him. They're blowing the trumpets. And everybody sees what they're doing, and they just start applauding. Bravo, bravo. It's a little over the top. I don't, I don't think Jesus is literally saying this happened, but we get it. We even get it today. We use the expression to toot one's own horn, to blow one's own trumpet. And what Jesus is doing here in this kind of humorous way, is he's describing what he says is a hypocrite. We know this word, I think, hypocrite. I think we have a pretty good sense what it means. In the Greek world, it would have referred to a masked actor. So think about this. If this is a stage, uh, you're watching a play or a show, uh, the actor will sometimes put on a mask, and in doing so, the, the, master, the, the actor will hide themselves, disguise themselves. And if you're in a theater, that's no problem, right? You, the audience, you know this is all part of the play. I'm wearing a mask. I know it. You know it. It's no problem. What Jesus says is a problem is when you treat the world as your own stage. He okay? said so these hypocrites, they're setting out to deceive people. They're taking some real activity, good activity, giving to the needy, and they're turning it into theater. Right? They're kind of putting on a mask that gives this false impression of who they are. Okay, this mask gives them the impression that they're really concerned about the needy, but in reality, what they really want is applause and affirmation from others, which is outrageous. You and I would never attempt to portray ourselves in a favorable manner in conversations with others or on social media in order to seek the applause of others. (laughs) None of us ever in a conversation have kind of tweaked our words a little bit to present ourselves just a little better than we are in reality. And I know none of us has ever gone back on social media to see how many likes we got. How much applause we got online. The reason Jesus is teaching this is because he knows us. I keep saying in the sermon, Jesus is pretty smart. He kind of gets people. He knows that you and I crave affirmation. We are hardwired to crave affirmation. We crave approval. We crave applause from others. And that extends out into the religious life. Maybe particularly, in some ways, in the religious life. I've got this folder that I use for preaching. And I, I've got a few little post-it notes that try to remind myself myself of things to remember. One of them is a quote from John 12:43 that says, For they loved human praise more than praise from God. You know why I put that there? Because I love human praise. Probably a lot like you do. It feels good. And it's so easy, preaching, giving to the needy, praying, fasting, to get things distorted, where in the end I realize what I really want is the praise of men, of people, more than I want the praise of God. So you can do all kinds of good things the wrong reasons because human praise is intoxicating it's tempting it's why Jesus says be careful be careful you're not doing these things giving to the needy praying fasting in order to be praised but here's what I think is I think we kind of get that right that's the first one don't be doing this stuff to get the applause of others but there's a more subtle temptation here that Jesus is getting at Because he he turns to this and he says, okay, when you do the giving, do it in secret, but don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So how exactly do you do that? Do you figure out, can you write a check with one hand? That would be good. Can you write a check closing your eyes with one hand so that you don't know how much you're writing and your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing? That would be really amazing. I don't think that's what Jesus is getting at, right? Again, we need to be a little careful. We need to be careful we don't be over-literal about this, okay? What Jesus is trying to get at is you can give in secret and still have the wrong motivation, okay? Remember, the big thing we're trying to to zero in on today is what is your motivation? So we can do the right thing for the wrong reason. Well, what's, what's the wrong motivation in this case? We're giving to the needy, good, right? Remember, Jesus affirms that. Jesus assumes that. You're doing it in secret, great. No one's applauding you, right? You're doing it in secret, nobody knows, no one's applauding. Ah, but the left hand sees what's going on, right? So who can applaud for you? The left hand can kind of applaud for you, right? Now I'm not getting the congratulations from you, but I'm giving the congratulations to myself. I feel good about myself. This is subtle this takes work. It's hard to figure out, am I doing this? Okay, I'm not doing it for the applause of others, but am I doing it for the applause of myself? This takes some self-awareness. Okay? And Jesus is saying, hey, one of the best ways to expose your motives is to do it in secret. Let me tell you a story about myself. A few months ago, I found out about a need. It was a couple in Indiana. Somebody else, a third party, told me about a need they had. And so I talked to Krishana, we, we sent off uh, some money to help out. And I thought about the time, I thought, you know, I could maybe do this anonymously, but it's, it's actually kind of hard sometimes to give away money anonymously. So I felt good, did, did this, sent it off, felt good. Well, some days went by and some weeks went by and I never heard anything from them. So I told myself, you know, I, I, really, I just want to make sure they got that check. That's what I want. I want to make sure they got that check. So I went on my bank and, and figured out, well, they had, they had cashed it. Nothing. Huh. I'm talking to Christiana, and she's like, you just need to relax. It's like, They got a lot going on. Like, why are you worrying about it? But I was worried about it. And the mask was coming off. See, what I thought was I was doing is pretty good motivation. Every day that went by that I didn't get acknowledged for that gift, the mask came off, and the reality was shown. I cared a lot about the acknowledgement from them. And it was starting to bother me that I didn't hear anything from them. My motives were exposed. I realized I cared a lot more about acknowledgement and applause than I realized. And I finally came to peace about it. Next day, got this really great thank you, note. I'm such a jerk. Are we always going to have pure motives when we give? No. If you, wait, if you wait and say, I'm going to wait until I have totally pure motives before I give anything away, you just won't give anything away. But an amazing way to start to purify and expose your motives is to get in the practice of giving and giving in secret, right? This is really important. You learn to become generous by giving. Like if you just wait around to be generous, you just, you just won't happen. You learn to be generous by getting in the habit of giving, of sharing your resources, which, again, Jesus sees as essential for disciples. And we should be moving as close to secrecy as possible. Okay? Why? Why? What's the big deal about secrecy? Well, again, secrecy has this amazing way of purifying and exposing our motives. Right. Remember I told you that these practices, one of the big purposes of these is to transform us into people of love, right? It's, it's surprisingly easy to give of your resources and not love someone, right? Because there's a temptation to use people. If giving of my resources feels good, it could get so warped that I actually, in the end, don't care about you. I care about getting that good feeling in myself that I get when I'm doing something for you, Is it bad to feel good about giving something away? No, we'll talk about that. That's that's not, there's a reward. But we got to be careful we're not using people. And I think it happens a lot. We want to help people because it makes us feel good. Uh, As as the theologian Thomas Aquinas said, I love this definition of love. Love is to will the good of the other. To will the good of the other. I I want your good. I want your good more than I want my good beautiful definition of love. Another great theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer said love is self-forgetful. Hey okay, love is seeking the good of the other, the willing the good of the other, and love is self-forgetful. Meaning we don't we we, we don't um, after we give a gift away, we don't just spend all this time recalling in our minds how great it was we gave that gift away. We don't applaud ourselves for how generous we are. We give the gift to will the good of the other, and then we forget about it. And nothing helps more than doing that in secrecy. But I want to, someone might be thinking, wait a minute. I remember earlier on in this sermon, Jesus talking about how we're supposed to let our light shine before men so that they might see our good works and give praise to the Father in heaven. So I'm confused. Earlier, Jesus is telling us, do your good deeds so people see them. And now Jesus is saying, don't do those good deeds in public, do them in secret. What's going on? I think Jesus is speaking to two different challenges here. Jesus knows, and actually this came up in the Sunday school class today, Jesus knows there's going to be times that we want, that we feel we should let our light shine, but we're afraid to do so. Have you ever felt that way? You've been nudged, you know you should say something, but there's a fear. But then there's other times where our, a, our egos or our vanity push us to do something publicly. You can put up the slide. This is a good way, I think, of summarizing this by A.B. Bruce. He says that we are to show when tempted to hide and hide when tempted to show. As you, as you feel that tug for recognition, like that's the time to move towards secrecy. But at the times, when you feel that tug to hide, that's the time to move to showing. There's one more thing we need to look at in this passage before we finish up, and it's uh, the reward part. Because the last line Jesus says is, then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now this is really interesting. There's a reward for giving to the needy in secret. It doesn't, the reward is not the applause of others, it's not even the applause of ourselves. It comes from God. I said earlier, we crave affirmation. Jesus knows this. Jesus doesn't have a problem that we crave affirmation. Jesus just wants us to get our affirmation from the right place. Not from other people, not even from ourselves, but from God. Because here's the deal. We are, in fact, on a stage. What we do is, in fact, seen, but we have an audience of one, God. Randy Harris says this, I love this. When you do things to impress other people, God is not impressed. God's not impressed with us when we do things to impress people. I don't think that should probably shock us. When we step back and think about it, we're like, yeah, I'd, in general, when people do things to impress other people, it doesn't impress us. God is no different. What God is impressed with is when we do acts of mercy and love, not because we know others are watching, but because we know we have an audience of one. God is watching. And there's a reward to that. Maybe that sounds a little strange. Like, shouldn't we just do it out of the goodness of our heart? Why should we even want any reward, period? Shouldn't we be altruistic? C.S. Lewis, I think, is really helpful in understanding this. Lewis says, you know, sometimes unbelievers say that the promise of rewards makes us as Christianaries, Christians into this kind of mercenary affair. So what he means is that uh, it's not a problem to seek a reward, because he says there's lots of different types of rewards. And some of those rewards are more appropriate than others. So take, for example, love. Right? Is it okay for a man to marry a woman or vice versa for the reward of her money? Is that okay? Hopefully all are like, yeah, that doesn't, no, that doesn't, that's not okay. And Lewis would say the reason is because money is not the natural reward for love. But marriage, Lewis says, is the proper reward for a real lover. You see his point? There's different types of reward. To marry someone to get the reward of her money or his money is not a good, good, good reward. But to marry someone to seek the reward of marriage is a good, proper reward. What then is the reward for giving to the needy? I think, I think it's multifaceted. There may be, I think there's some present, I think there's some future, but I think part of the reward is knowing that our Father in Heaven sees us and is pleased. We should want to please God. Think about how how it feels when someone you respect deeply is pleased with you. It feels good. There's a reward. Jesus is not saying that's a problem. That's a good thing. But I think there's another reward too. There's the reward of seeing a need satisfied. See, when, when, when you help someone who is needy, when you see that need is satisfied, that's a joy in itself. When you do this, this is, a, this is not only a gift for them, it's a gift from God to you. You, as Mother Teresa said, are engaging in the economy of love. I love that, the economy of love. You're doing what you're built to do. You and I are built to love others, to love God and to love others. And when we give to the needy, we're starting to engage in that economy of of love you're acting as a conduit for god's love and when you do that there's a reward of joy if that's a little abstract think about this we just passed through the christmas season think about when you were a kid uh what the most exciting part of christmas was usually for most of us it was getting gifts but think about recently for most of us this christmas what made you most excited if you gave presents Usually, in my case, the older I get, the, more, the most excited is when I have that gift for someone that I think they're really going to like. I, I know I've got some gifts under the tree, and, and that's, that's great, but what I'm really excited about is that gift, that perfect gift I found for that person because when they open it up, I want to see joy on their face, and that gives me joy. I think there's something, that's, that's what's happening here. The joy is in giving to the needy. Jesus, is, you know, I hear people say, and I think it's true, Jesus was the most joyful person who ever lived. Jesus did not live an easy life. Jesus would never be one of those people that got to wear the T-shirt saying "too blessed to be stressed," <laughs> or put a bumper sticker on his car. Jesus, the American idea of blessed, Jesus fails. He didn't have his money. He's not married. Doesn't have kids. He dies young, he's betrayed by his closest friends, he suffers physically and emotionally, he experiences heartache and disappointment, and yet Jesus was so joyful. Why was Jesus so joyful? Because Jesus sought to please the Father. That's what Jesus wanted more than anything else. That's why he was constantly communing with the Father because he wanted to know the Father's will and he wanted to enact that. He had an audience of one. And to please the Father meant to love those who are around him. Jesus is not opposed to rewards. He just wants you to seek the right reward. And he's trying to show us the path to do that. That there's so much better reward than the applause of others. You know, the applause of others feels good, but it just goes away so fast. And then you just need more applause and more applause and more applause. But the reward, pleasing the Father, is a different kind of reward it actually satisfies. So here's your mission this week and beyond, if you should accept it, to join the secret service, to put into practice what Jesus is teaching here. I I broke it down into four steps here. Watch, act, forget, and receive. Watch, first step. I want you this week and beyond to keep your eyes out for those who are in need. I want you to put out your radar for, any, for anybody who recognizes is in need of something. Maybe they need of a note of encouragement. Maybe they need money. But Jesus wants you as a disciple to be hyper aware of needs around you. First step, watch. In order to see the needs, you're going to have to look. Number two, act. Do the good deed. Give to the needy. Respond with deeds of compassion and mercy and love and do it as secretly as possible. Maybe when the snow hits, which I hope it does, again, I love snow, when it hits and you look out early in the morning and you see your neighbor's driveway is not plowed, maybe you should ask yourself, can I get over there and get that plowed before they know? Use your imagination. Look around. What can I get in there, get in, get it done, and get out before they see what's happening, before they catch catch you doing it? Give a gift, but do it anonymously. So number two, act. Number three, forget. Once you've done that deed, release it. Forget about it. Don't do what I did and just wait for that thank you note to come. Don't spend your time patting yourself on the back about how great that secret deed you did. Think for a second what would happen in this congregation that would then spill out of this congregation if we became enveloped with secrecy. What if everyone around here, I mean mean everyone, was walking around, was sneaking around, plotting how to meet the needs of others in secret. What would that do to our congregation? What what would would happen if that kind of secrecy took hold? By every one of us was sneaking around looking for ways that we could do it in secret. I think it would be transformative. But there's one more step. We watch, we act, we forget. And this is an important one we receive. We receive. Right. In order to be an economy of love, I not only have to give, but I've got to receive. I've got to be on the other end of receiving. And sometimes, I'd say for most of us, that's actually harder. I think because we've so drank of the gospel of independence and self-sufficiency that we don't want to be a burden. That's the last thing we want to be. We don't want to be a bird to anyone. That may be the gospel of the United States. The gospel to say that I never have to be dependent on anyone or anyone else. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? When we wash our feet, we have to do two things when we wash our feet. And I always prefer to do one over the other. I would love to wash your feet. I do not want you to wash my feet. I have really gross feet. My wife can attest to that. You might know it if you've washed my feet. I feel very vulnerable when I have to take off my socks and you see my feet. I feel, don't feel that at all when I wash your feet, but I feel it when you wash my feet. But unless I allow you to wash my feet, we cannot have an economy of love. I can't be the only one that just gives and never receives. The needs may be different, but guess what? We're all needy. We're all called as disciples to be dependent on each other. In fact, one of the crazy things about the gospel is that to become a follower of Jesus, to become a disciple, you don't need money. You don't need to have your life together. You don't have to have a great resume and a track record of success. You gotta have one thing to recognize that you're in need. Isn't that amazing? That's what you need. You don't fall short as a disciple when you're needy. You fall short when you fail to recognize that you're needy. Sign up, friends, for the secret service. Seek an audience of one. Participate in God's economy of love.